What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome to the Baseball America podcast. Baseball America, bringing you baseball news you can't get anywhere else for more than 35 years. Now it's time to talk baseball. Hey, welcome everyone to a Baseball America College podcast, promising to make it all the way through. I'm John Manuel, along with Mike Lanna, and remotely from Atlanta, our Ted Cahill. This podcast is brought to you by Louisville Slugger. There's power in numbers. Slugger sponsors our Baseball America Top 25. Uh, coincidentally, Louisville is number one in that Top 25, and that has nothing to do with Slugger. It has to do with the fact that Louisville has the best player in the country, and they're undefeated, and they're really good, Teddy, but uh, you saw one of our preseason top five teams, uh, University of Florida, with preseason unranked Auburn, and those teams went in opposite directions this weekend, Teddy, and a lot of teams from the state of Florida went in the wrong direction. I mean, right now, our highest-ranked team from the state of Florida is Florida Gulf Coast. It's like Dunk City all of a sudden is our highest-ranked team, and meanwhile, Miami's not in the rankings, and Florida and Florida State took big tumbles What's the problem with those three power schools, those power five schools that have been national powers historically in college baseball, the Gators, the Hurricanes, the Seminoles? Yeah, I mean, right now, the, there's a common theme there, and it's that they aren't hitting. Um, you know, Florida has struggled offensively all season. I mean, I guess all three of them really have. Um, Florida's, Florida State struggles really came to a head this weekend. Uh, in Blacksburg, where they lost on Sunday, 17 to nothing, to to take a series loss. Uh, Florida was swept at Auburn on the opening weekend of SEC play, and Miami uh, went up to North Carolina State and lost a series um, after you know kind of upsetting Georgia Tech in Miami last season. It looked like their bats maybe had gone back on track, but. Uh, you know, then this weekend in, in Raleigh, I guess they, they kind of reverted back to what they had been earlier in the season. And, you know, none of them are hitting particularly well. They all have their individual reasons for why they're not hitting particularly well. Um, but especially in Florida and Florida State's case, you would figure at some point they'll get it together offensively. Uh, they both, both those teams have really talented players that just aren't going right now. Taylor Walls, last year's uh, first team, uh, All-American at shortstop, he's really struggling. Dylan Busby is struggling for the Seminoles. They're missing Drew Mendoza, who's still hurt. Um, you know, they're they're struggling, but you know, those those are pretty talented players that you figure would would eventually get it going with the bat. I mean, it can't just be Quincy Neaforte hitting grand slams all season long. That's <laughs> not going to work. And right. they found that out the you know after Friday in Blacksburg, uh, and for Florida. 
pretty much no one is hitting. Um, like they, uh, they're all, they're all scuffling. They're probably pressing for the most part. Um, but Kevin O'Sullivan says he's kind of settled on a lineup at this point. So if they can just get settled into their roles, um, you know, stop trying to do so much, just realize that that's a team that really only needs to score four or five runs a game for the most part. They play defense and pitch to the level that they're capable. You know, they don't need to mash. They just need to, you know, find a way to, to score a few runs a game and, and give their pitchers a chance to, to win a game four to three or, or, you know, five to one or something. I'll tell you what's surprising to me about Florida State. A, I mean, like, it's just stunning to see them get shut out. I feel like I guess they missed Jackson Luke. I guess he's got shin splints and has been out for yeah, yeah been out for a week plus and yeah, they they seem like they miss him in a lineup somewhat, but it's still a deep lineup. You know, Cal Raleigh really hasn't gotten going, but I guess that you know, like you said, I assume that they're going to hit at some point. But seventeen to nothing uh, on on that Sunday game really I feels believe like I thought that was the worst shutout loss in Mike Martin's career. Um, I have to imagine. So that, yeah, that's. Uh, I mean, that, that's that's a loud weekend for Virginia Tech. They scored 30 runs in the last two days of that series to win. And you know, Blacksburg can be a tough place to pitch sometimes, but you gotta you gotta do a bit better than that uh, if you're gonna win win some baseball games. You can't be giving up 30 runs in two games. Yeah, that's that's just unexpected. And I guess the the, the real issue is um, the bullpen. You know, Florida State was winning Saturday 10 to two in that game and could not hold that lead, wound up losing 13 to 12. You're Florida State, and you've got, you know, that's where you were t- we were talking in the meeting the other day, Tyler Holton is kind of their best guy. We kind of think Tyler Holton and Carson Sands are two best guys. Um, they moved Drew Carlton to the bullpen, but they didn't exactly bring him in when that lead was there. It was like Will Zierzow and Jim Boyles. These are veteran guys. This guy's got hammered uh, all weekend, basically, Mike. I- on how encouraged, how enthusiastic are you about Florida State's pitching long term? Do we just, you know, do do they have the arms to be an Omaha team like we thought they were preseason? Right. Well, you know, the one thing I'll say is Cole Sands did pitch well this weekend. He was like the one guy who who pitched well for this weekend, which is an encouraging sign for that for him and for them, just because he's had his ups and downs so far this year and you know throughout his young career to this point. But yeah, I mean, looking at their pitching staff coming into this year. Obviously, it was an experienced group, given that they returned their entire rotation. But yeah. if you look at them in terms of pure stuff and you know the the raw tools that they have, they don't necessarily have the you know electricity of you know Florida staff, for instance, or some of these other pitching staffs in the country. But but bank on you know their experience, their pitching pitchability, their pitching feel, and then you combine that with you know their offense, which we expected them to hit more than. Than they have, right. so uh, you know. To me, I don't look at it as a dominant pitching staff per se, but I certainly didn't think their pitching would be a liability. I thought the returning experience would be a strength for them. So it it is concerning that they're struggling to this point. You know, I, I do think you know, like I mentioned, I mean, Sands pitching well, and if you know, you know, Holden had a little bit of a hiccup this weekend, but if he bounces back from that. You know that that'll be important for them, but uh, you know they're going to they're going to Notre Dame next weekend, and then you know after that they've got they're hosting UNC, and that's going to be a tough matchup for them. And yeah, I mean the schedule is not going to get any easier from there. So if you're going to get your if you're going to get your pitching right, maybe playing Notre Dame, which is hitting two thirty three 
uh, is the team to do that against. But, you know, they have yeah. nine home runs. I mean, but it is – I know that there's disparities early in the year, but uh, just look at the, SEC, the ACC team stats where Georgia Tech and Virginia Tech have 37 home runs apiece. Oh, no, I'm sorry. It's Wake Forest at Virginia Tech have 37 home runs apiece, and Boston College has one as a team. <laughs> I know the weather's been challenging, but that that is just stunning. The other thing that's startling about this is looking, and I, and I saw Miami Friday. Uh, we'll we'll wrap up the ACC portion of the Sunshine Sunshine State here, um, but Miami's hitting 206 as a team. There are three ACC teams that have scored fewer runs, but the Canes hitting 206, 334, 301, and CNM on Friday when they actually hit two home runs outside of Romy Gonzalez. And Carl Chester and Johnny Ruiz, there's no one in that lineup who struck me as a particularly decent college hitter, and the stats are worse than that. Their whole, their bottom four spots of the lineup Friday guys were all seniors, all hitting under 150. So it was brutal on paper. Uh, the fact they they got a win, I think, tells you a little bit about Miami that they do have some pitching. I do like Jesse Lapori. I do like Michael Mediavia. Um, so they do have some arms, um, but they're going to have to. They're going to be scraptastic this whole year. The the scary thing about those offensive numbers is they're actually an improvement over what they were a right. couple of weeks ago. Right. They were they were hitting lower than that as a team a couple of weeks ago. So. But just watching this, just the yeah. eye test, Miami offensively without the freshman catcher Michael Amditis. Uh, who really provided some power and thickened their lineup out a little bit, figuratively and literally. Uh, they just don't have anybody who scares you. Not for me, Teddy. I, but Florida, I mean, you just saw them up close and personal. Let's transition to the SEC, Teddy. I mean, we could talk ACC all we want, but I want to talk SEC. I want to talk a little Big West because Cal State Fullerton is so hot right now, as the, as the saying goes in uh, the original Zoolander movie. Uh, so hot right now. Definitely want to talk about the, the Titans a bit, but Teddy, what, what did what did you see with Florida? Uh, that what did you see in person that you can regale Gator fans with that will encourage them that uh, so you can make a PSA that says it gets better. Uh, well, I mean it's it's just the guys that that you know that, that have done this in the past that, that just kind of need to get going a little bit. You know, Jonathan India, uh, you know he's. He shows it, you know, it's there. I mean, he hit a home run on, uh, I think it was on Friday night. And, um, you know, he's, he really needs to get it going. He's hitting under 300. And, I mean, he has a chance to be their best hitter. Um, and he has been probably their best hitter to this point, but it just hasn't quite been, been good enough. Um, you know, it, it, if, we're, if, we're, if you're looking for, for signs of life on Florida, it's really just you kind of have to trust that, what they've done in the past, they'll eventually do again, and that you know that they have the ability to work out of this. And I I really believe that they do. Um, I think a lot of it is just mental, depressing. No one's hitting, and that obviously makes things very tough for everyone. Um, you know, some of these guys are in their draft year, and that can be tough. Um, you know, Florida handled that really well last year, but you know. A lot of guys that you know that can get in your head if you're if you're not careful. So I think they just really need to, you know, ease up a little bit. Just let the game come to them. Um, that's all very very much easier said than done. But they also need to do it quickly. 
because LSU comes into Gainesville next weekend and, you know, Florida's already 0-3 in the SEC. You know, it, like some of these other teams, it's not going to get any easier. And, you know, LSU is one of the best, one of the absolutely the best teams in the league. So, you know, it, it could go, it could go pretty bad. Uh, you, you know, they could wind up with a pretty bad record here if they aren't able to get some things going. But, They've played a lot better at home. They still haven't won on the road yet this year, and um, you know they just are playing a lot better in Gainesville. So, I, I guess that's one thing you can uh, you know look forward to is them getting back to Gainesville and, and them being able to play you know at home against LSU. Teddy, do we see uh, you know you talk about uh, Kevin O'Sullivan settling kind of on a lineup? Who who's in that lineup right now? Who who's who are their guys going to be going forward? Is Ryan Larson and Nelson Maldonado are those guys in that lineup? Who, kind of who's going to bring them those up? Those are guys. Fun? That is what settling on a lineup has meant to this point is that you know those those two guys are going to you know stay in the outfield, especially with Austin Laneworthy hurt now. Uh, he broke his hamate and he'll be out from hitting for about a month now. So with him out, I guess you're going to see those guys in the outfield more, um, and you're going to see. I guess J.J. Schwartz more at D.H. And, and first base to get Cole Sarvey in the lineup uh, when they can. Um, but Andrew Baker is healthy now. Um, he started hitting this week for the first time. He's been pitching. He was dealing with broken handmaids himself. So getting Baker going at the top of that order would be really big for them because he has, he has a chance to be a pretty electric leadoff hitter, and if he can get on, that can make things easier for, for everyone hitting behind him then. I feel like if I, if I were on the Gator Zone message boards or whatever they're called, I would be uh, tweeting, we got to get a better strength and conditioning coach, guy, so we can get it to stop having these broken hammocks. Like a, that's like message <laughs> message board guy loves to pick on, on the strength and conditioning coach, I feel like. You, you know who would be message board guy if he hadn't worked here for 20 years? This this guy right here. I would totally be a message board guy. I see message board guy, and I'm like, there but for the grace of God, go on. I mean, like, really. I feel you, message board guy, because I'd be doing exactly the same thing. And when I'm watching games about teams that I care about at home, I'm saying the exact same thing. So well, That's uh, what Twitter's for now, though, too. Yes, I start and delete many of those things. Um, six SEC sweeps this weekend, guys. I Seven series in the league, and only Vanderbilt and Ole Miss was not a sweep. I mean, Mike, what, what caught your eye from the SEC opening weekend? I mean, uh, what was the most surprising one uh, about the SEC? Or what, well, like I said, just what caught your eye one way or the other? Yeah, well, I mean, well, certainly, and I won't talk about it that much because Teddy just talked about it for a while, but certainly Auburn sweeping Florida was, was the one that... I, I meant what else? Uh, what else? <laughs> sorry, sorry. Beyond that... Yes. Uh, yeah, you know, it's, uh, uh, you know, Ole Miss, what, what they've done so far this year, you know, continues to be impressive. They have some good weeks. Yeah, coming coming back against uh, against Vanderbilt was was impressive. And, you know, and we've talked about them a lot, how they're a young team and how we weren't sure, you know, pitching-wise, how they're going to line up. And, you know, but they continue to find ways to win. And, you know, the, the guys that they have have grown up quickly and have, right. have, have responded quickly. And it's not that they didn't have – 
you know, talent. They're the number one recruiting class coming into this year, but you know, they've just done a good job. That coaching staff, you have to give credit to the coaching staff as well yeah. for, for getting them ready to play. And, you know, starting the season with a sweep of, you know, East Carolina, a team that we thought, you know, very highly of coming into the year. And Speaking of sweeps. Ooh. Yeah, that was that was surprising as well, but we can touch on that later. But, but yeah, you know, Ole Miss has certainly been impressive. Uh, you know, LSU continues to roll. They, they seem to be in, in a good rhythm right now, you know, sweeping Georgia. And, uh, you know, uh, you know can, teams that we didn't rank, but Kentucky – uh, wasn't impressive to me as well. You know, they've, they've really, you know, sweeping Texas A&M. Obviously, you know, they were in our rankings last week, number 22. That was impressive to me. You know, and they, they started the year at Carolina and got swept at Carolina, but they've since rebounded and are coming together. And, you know, uh, head coach, you know, Nick Mangione is doing a, a nice job in, in his first year there, you know, try, yeah. getting them together. So, they're an interesting team to watch and a team that I know we discussed a little bit for the top 25 in our meeting this week. That's a tough I would, tough place I, to go in, so, isn't it, Teddy, to go sweep A&M? I mean, that was, that was pretty impressive. Yeah, I mean, that was, that was really impressive to me. And, and what was impressive to me was the way that they did it. Um, you know, they scored like 24 runs in that series. And A&M pitches. Like, that is A&M's identity at this point. They're struggling a little bit offensively, which was to be expected after everything they lost uh, from their lineup last year. But um, Kentucky beat Brigham Hill on Friday night, and he's one of the better starters in the league. Took it to uh, him. Typically. Yeah, they really got to him. And then they, they continue to swing it all weekend against, you know, uh, you know A&M has arms. Steven right. Kolek and Mitchell Kilkenny, they're 2018 names to watch. And, you know, Kentucky was able to score on them. and and score on the bullpen, which has been a bit of an issue for the Aggies. But, yeah, to me what was impressive about that was just the way that Kentucky's offense got it going. You know, like you mentioned how Nick Mangione is going, has it going in his first season, and what he really has going is Kentucky's offense. He's done a great job getting those hitters ready to go. i tell you, the other, one, the other one that gets me in the SEC was Arkansas. Because Arkansas, it feels like, and you guys can correct me, feels like the last few years – uh, Arkansas's pitching depth, even when they got to Omaha, pitching depth has been an issue for them. I know that yeah. Miss, I know Mississippi State is beat up. Um, pretty telling again how injured they were. I mean, I know you guys wrote about Jake Mangum pitching in midweek, but then they you know they start him on a Sunday when they've lost the first two games a weekend series. They start him on Sunday in SEC play, and you know predictably a guy who's pretty new to pitching at the college level does not make out of the second inning there, but. First two days of that series were double-digit strikeouts, and then Tacalini goes four for the save on uh, Sunday. One of my favorite names in college baseball. You know, the, the strong Italian uh, community there in Arkansas. You know, Tacalini, <laughs> Dominic <laughs> Tacalini, future World Baseball Classic stud for Italy. I mean, if A.J. Morris can do it, yeah, uh, of course, it all comes back to the WBC for me. But um, that was impressive. I, I thought that... The teams that did the most for themselves this weekend, for me, uh, in the SEC were Kentucky, Arkansas, Auburn. Those are, those are teams that didn't make regionals last year, correct? I didn't miss any, I correct. Correct. That's huge for all those to get off the good starts. And then we ranked Missouri, guys, and I feel like we were reluctant to rank Missouri. Um, when you win 19 games in a row, <laughs> you're going to get ranked, especially when you go on the road. I'm worried about Alabama. I know it's a new coaching staff there, Greg Goff, all that kind of stuff. But that that's that's been a very 
poor start to the year for Alabama. You want to know how poor the start has been for Alabama? How they are poor is it? 10. They are 10-10, and 10 and they have not played a road game. So they open the season with a 20-game homestand, and they go 10-10 and 10 in it. That's not what you want, as Joe Girardi says. That is, that is not what you want. Alabama yeah, right Greg now. Goff is digging out there. I mean, that's there. I, I feel confident that he's going to be able to get something going there eventually, but that is going to be a rebuild job for, for what, um, you know, the Crimson Tide for the next few years. So this may have, and I may be overstating this, but Alabama's at 215 in the RPI in, on warrennolan.com. That is an anchor around the whole SEC's neck. Their conference RPI cannot be the best in the country if you have a team all the way down there. That's something Well, the SEC had that last year with, um, you know, Arkansas's RPI was pretty terrible. And the ACC did happen to be the best RPI conference in the country, but it didn't really hold back the top of the SEC. What that does is it holds back the middle tier. That's what I mean. Um, It holds back some of those borderline teams. If If you're on the bubble, that's bad for your bubble to have... Uh, the SEC's got a, you know, I would say in general doesn't have doesn't have somebody in the two hundreds, does it? I can't remember an SEC team in the two hundred, but I haven't looked at it, studied it. And you have you have two teams that could be down there pretty low this year because Georgia, look away, it's it's hideous. It is. And I I mean no disrespect, even though I just quoted Kramer talking about Georgia, but they give up a lot of runs and not just on Friday to give up twenty two runs on Friday night. To LSU, that's... Yeah, I mean, they got to Lane uh, in the first inning. Right. Alex Lane, again, started poorly. But, you know, so they put up four in the top of the first. But, you know, then they had to get 27 outs. And they really struggled to do it. Alex Lane, Kyle Wright, uh, Alex Fado, all three of those guys continue to just kind of meh their way through the year. And Alex Lane's a little bit less than that. Uh, from a draft standpoint, Teddy, what did you see out of Fado? I mean, it's not the velocity was not good, uh, which is what we well, keep on hearing. Well, I mean, the velo, the velo for him has kind of been consistent all year is what it sounds like. He's not throwing 96 like he was last year. Um, but the problem on Friday night was that he didn't have his command. Like, right. usually he pitches with average to above average command, and he just didn't have that at all. He can succeed where he's pitching now in the low 90s. That's not a problem for him. I mean, it makes him a little bit lesser of a prospect if he doesn't show 96 at all this year. But he can succeed like that. His slider's still really sharp. He's still a a very good changeup, but he's going to have to locate. And that that was the issue, was he just was walking guys. He wasn't throwing quality strikes consistently, and Auburn made him pay. Uh, Just a small aside, when we were talking about Texas A&M, I forgot that I was looking this up, but they have a future Greek World Baseball Classic player, and John Doxakis, great name. <laughs> Left-hander, Doxa is like a glory, so it's a great. Doxakis is a pretty great name, and his, his dad's Dean, which is a great Greek name, and his mom is Deanna, which is, I don't know, that could be Greek too. Uh, <laughs> but that, that just stuck out to me. Um, Keegan Thompson also stuck out too, I guess, this weekend. Teddy, pretty good Keegan Thompson. Just He's more compete than he is like flashy stuff, right? Compete, good breaking ball. And uh, but really has Friday night guy presence, does he not? He is. I mean, and that's the guy he's been since he was 16 and pitching for Team USA. Really, um, you know, he he's very experienced on the amateur circuit. 
Uh, he pitched for in, in some big, big games. He pitched against Cuba in a gold medal game for, for Team USA when he was in high school. And, um, you know, he's pitched on Friday nights in the SEC for a few years now. And he's coming back from Tommy John. And, you know, he's, he's rolling right along. Butch Thompson, who doubles as Auburn's head coach and their pitching guy, um, you know, thinks that Keegan probably has even more in the tank. You know, he's still working his way back a little bit. Um, but for now, he's really getting the job done for them. And, uh, you know, he, him and Casey Mize at the front of that rotation make Auburn, you know, give Auburn a chance in any series. And the Davis Daniel is a pretty talented freshman who hasn't completely figured it out yet. He's still working through some control issues. And uh, he didn't make it very far in the game yesterday. And, and that has happened. But if he ever figures it out, their top three stacks up very favorably with most of the league. I mean, Florida and South Carolina, we talk all the time about how good one through three they are. You know, if Davis Daniel can get it going, Auburn's really not that far off those two teams. That's very encouraging for uh, for Auburn, for sure. That would not <laughs> that was not what I was expecting out of Auburn. It was a sweep this weekend. I just didn't didn't see that coming. Um, I have a, another meeting I have to go to, so I'm going to fail making it all the way through this podcast. <laughs> I'm over to you guys. I'm, I'm I'm the worst, the worst, Jerry. But I am curious, uh, Teddy. We did move. I wanted to pivot you guys, uh, rankings wise, to the pack to the West Coast, if I could, just because we do have a new number two in Oregon State, and uh, it does sound like Oregon State is, um, well, they're still balling. Uh, yeah. In a manner of speaking, Mike. I, it feels like Oregon State, and we had Washington go and sweep uh, Utah this weekend. Feels like, and then the, uh, you know, Teddy, I definitely want you to weigh in on as you are want to do on my Tracy Smith obsession because he posted like his eight or nine theses on the wall <laughs> at uh, on his wall this weekend for uh, for Arizona State on his Twitter, which I know it's a new we're in a new era when people in leadership positions tweet a lot, <laughs> but that was unexpected. So. Uh, you know, there there's some subjects uh, I'll let you I'll, I'll let you guys discuss as in Mike Meyer style. But Mike, you should start by talking about Oregon State. I mean, like, why are they number two? That's a good question, John. <laughs> enjoy <laughs> enjoy your meeting. I'll we'll, enjoy hearing we'll, the answer later. Well, yeah, you can listen to this later. Yeah, um, yeah. So Oregon State, um, you know, looking at what they did this weekend, sweeping Arizona State, um, like like John said, and. You know, the thing that stands out to me, Teddy, and you, obviously you can weigh in, but uh, it, it's just the pitching, and, and especially the way Luke Heimlich has, has pitched for them at the front of the rotation. Um, he's been he's been pretty dominant this year. I mean, you, you look at the numbers, and I'm pulling them up right now. He, he had another dominant start this weekend. Um, you know, he's, he's 4-0 with a 0.25 ERA so far this year he's given up one earned run he struck out 44 and 36 and two-thirds innings to five walks and it sounds like from from reports that we've heard that his stuff is maybe ticking up a little bit he might be throwing just a little bit harder you know and working in the lower 90s a little bit more so he's a he's a very interesting guy uh, for this year's draft a left-hander you know Bryce Femmel this weekend pitched very well behind him and uh, you know, two of the three games they they threw shutouts. You know, and uh, they out they outscored them by uh, by a total of let's see here sixteen to one. So you know, Oregon State's rolling right now, but they do have you know really a, their toughest challenge of the year so far, probably with with Arizona. You know, coming into Corvallis next weekend, which should be a really really fun series. 
Yeah, no doubt. Um, and and you, know, you mentioned how well they're pitching. I mean, they're hitting very well, too, right now. And they really have it going in all facets. I don't have his numbers in front of me because I'm in Grant Park right now in Atlanta. Um, but I can Nick Madrigal, <laughs> Nick Madrigal is rolling. I mean, he's hitting over 400. I, you know, we knew Nick Madrigal was really good, but you know, he was a, a freshman All-American last year. He was very highly touted out of high school. But like, what's uh, what's Madrigal's numbers coming out of this weekend? All right, here we go. Here we go. He's uh, he's batting 426, 506 on base, 632 slugging. Um, that's all very good. Uh, three home runs so far this year, 11 RBIs. I mean, he's he's doing quite well. He, he's leading the team in most categories. Um, you know, K.J. Harrison is hitting well for them. Uh, you know, Caden Grenier is hitting 293, 397, 500. Um, you know, Which is a really nice improvement for him. You know, last year right. he kind of struggled as a freshman. He didn't have the greatest summer offensively on the tape, but – you know, he's another guy, very highly touted out of high school. Those, those two guys coming in together, um, you know, two really, really solid infielders, both offensively and defensively, and they give Oregon State a lot of versatility. And I mean, they, you just go through Oregon State's lineup right now, and really outside of Adley Rushman, who's a freshman behind the plate and hasn't really hit yet, um, you know, they really have a lot of guys going, and you know that's why they are where they are. You know, we thought this team was good. But they were a little, obviously they were a little shaky last year, and you know they struggled down the stretch and they missed the NCAA tournament as a result. But um, you know there's talent there. There's a lot of talent there, and they're showing it right now. Yeah, I mean to me, uh, you know they were one of the teams last year going into the NCAA tournament that were right on the bubble. Them and them in North Carolina. To me, I think what both of those teams have done this year in some ways has been kind of similar, just in that. The teams are a little older now, a little bit more experienced. They've the talent hasn't been an issue for them over the years, especially. I mean, last year you look at Oregon State. I mean, they have, you know, basically, you know, all the same guys that they had a year ago. They're just a year older. They're playing to their capabilities a little bit more, and and you see how just they how are, talented they are. They are a lot healthier this year too, um, mm-hmm. which has been has been key for them. I mean, we they don't they're doing all of this, and they don't even have Drew Rasmussen yet. Um, you know, he's really their, their one big injury this year. He's still working back from Tommy John. But, right. um, you know, they, they, their pitching depth really got hit last year. And, um, you know, they, they're, now they're healthy and, and they're throwing. And, and like you said, they're improved. And um, they're really rolling right now. Arizona is really rolling right now. I mean, that's going to be a great series this weekend. Mm-hmm. Arizona State not rolling right now. Um, they have been as Jekyll and Hyde as any team this year. Um, you know, they – won a game at TCU. Um, you know, they've been swept by Oregon State. They swept Long Beach State. Um, you know, you just look at their schedule. It's very up and down, and it's a young team. This is what happens to young teams. And, you know, like John mentioned, Tracy Smith, their head coach, posted like nine – I think it was the, the thing is titled like nine reasons why I'm not going to give up, the season, give up on the season yet. And the last one is because there are like 36 games left. And that's obviously the biggest reason. But – Several times in there, uh, he reiterates just how young they are and yeah. how talented the, the young players are. That's a top ten recruiting class this year, and they're they have to play a lot of them. Um, you know, their junior class, their their senior class, they are not they're not overflowing with draft talent this year. So they're really relying on some underclassmen, and they're going through some growing pains, and it's showing because they can put together really good games where they go out and beat TCU in Fort Worth on Friday night. And then they can go get swept at home to start Pac-12 play by Oregon State. Um, I, 
Arizona State is not a team that gets swept. It's been like 20 years, I want to say, since since this has happened. Um, but they, I, I think we still can feel pretty good about them putting it together. Um, I don't know what putting it together will fully look like, but I do know that what they are this weekend, like I feel confident in saying that's not what they truly are. I don't think their identity has been established yet, is, is I guess what I'm trying to say here. Right, right. And certainly, certainly everything you're saying is fair, especially with the you know, a young team like they are. Um, and, and then you mentioned Arizona and, and how well they've been playing. And, you know, that, that series against Oregon State is going to be, you know, a really, a really fun one. And, you know, you look at what they did this weekend, you know, in their Pac-12 opener, taking two out of three from UCLA, um, just narrowly missing a sweep, um, losing eight to seven. And, uh, you know, you just look at what they've done. And, it, I mean, to me, it, it's been very impressive from especially an offensive point of view, just the new guys that have, that have come in. And, and, you know, we talk a lot about Nick Quintana and, and, and those kinds of guys. But then even the guys who have taken a step up from a year ago, Jared Oliva, J.J. Matajevic. And then, you know, they've really done a great job. And, you know, they did this all year last year of just, you know, piecing it together on the mound. And just finding the the right guys, you know, J.C. Cloney is kind of the anchor there, you know, at the front of the rotation. And then, you know, they, they might mix and match a little bit here and there, but they, they find the right guys and they find, you know, a way to get it done. And, you know, I think it's just been a, you know, a pretty masterful coaching job by Jay Johnson so far in his two years there. Well, you know, you don't really need to team me up to, to compliment Jay and his <laughs> coaching. They've, uh, they've done really well this year. They brought. They had to integrate a lot of younger guys, a lot of GC guys, and so far it's working. You know, they're into the top ten now. Uh, they have this huge series at Oregon State uh, this weekend, and it'll be very interesting to see how they respond to that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they've they've had some tough weekends already this year. Um, they're number three in the RPI in large part. A, they have a lot of wins, and B, because they played a difficult schedule. Uh, but this will be their toughest road test of the season. It'll probably be that way all year. You know, Oregon State is going to be a lot of teams' toughest test of the year. And, and going to Corvo, especially in March like this, I mean, you never know what you're going to get. So um, it's going to be a tough series. It's going to be a tough environment to play in. You know, Oregon State is going to have a lot of fans there, I'm sure. And, uh, you know, they're going to be ready to go. And, and Arizona is going to have to have to be ready to go and, and to match it themselves. Right, right. And, and sticking on the West Coast, you know, I, I think uh, – you know, we need to talk a little bit about Cal State Fullerton and, and what they've done. I mean, they've they've been rolling. I mean, they beat Arizona in a midweek game this past weekend, 4-0, and then, you know, hosting a New Mexico team that, that came in, you know, pretty hot in its own right, you know, sweeping them this weekend. And, you know, really, it's just kind of been the, you know, traditional Cal State Fullerton team of just, you know, pitching and, and finding a way to, to scrap across runs and, and score just enough to win. I mean, obviously that's that that's kind of, uh, you know, the West Coast style in general, but certainly it's a formula that's worked for Cal State Fullerton in the past and has continued to work. And, you know, now you look at their upcoming schedule, it's going to be a, a difficult slate this week. They're playing at San Diego midweek, which San Diego is a team that's played very well this season. And then they're playing at Long Beach State in, to start Big West play you know a team no, that, that, was, that is a non-conference series that a non-conference series yes um against against their arch rival and big left so the first one they play twice every year only one counts to the big west right. the first one does not count uh fortunately for them the one that counts is a fullerton because they're going to long beach going to blair i mean that's 
that's never easy for them. And you know, you know, you know the dirt bags are going to be ready for uh, for that one. Yeah, yeah, certainly, certainly. So that's going to be that's going to be fun to watch for sure. And you know, they continue to climb up our rankings. Uh, we we have them at number I mean, five this week. Yeah, I mean, we had them as a top ten team coming into the year, and I think they've been exactly what we thought they were going to be, and they just keep winning. They're on a seven game winning streak right now. Uh, they've won like ten of eleven, and most of those games have come against teams that made regionals last season. I mean, they're really going, and um, you know, they got their pitching working, like you said. John Gavin was was really good last night. He struck out fourteen guys, career high. Um, you know, and obviously Connor Siebold's been been really rolling. They've got some young guys going. Uh, you know, they're they're a really talented team, and they're playing like it right now. Yeah, for sure, for sure. And then you know, you look at the 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 rest of the top ten. Clemson and, and South Carolina both slide up. Clemson to number six, South Carolina to number seven. Uh, the Gamecocks were the preseason number five team and slid down after struggling against Clemson and losing that series. But it seems like both of those South Carolina teams have have really sort of hit their stride these last couple of weeks. I mean, Clemson uh, you know, faced a very tough Virginia team, lost the opening game, and then rebounded to win the next two days. I mean, that's an impressive series win, and you know, it's a... I was really impressed by that because yeah. I thought, you know, after they lost on Friday night, you know, Virginia's best pitcher is Adam Hazelwood this season, and he's going on Sunday. You know, I figured, um, you know, that Virginia might be able to, to go down there and, and, and win a series, but, you know, give a lot of credit to Clemson for bouncing back the way they pitched the next two days mm-hmm. uh, and the way they swung the bats, especially, um, you know, late in the series. Um, you know, Daniel Lynch was really good on Friday night for Virginia, but... Clubs got their bats going, and, and they got some strong pitching, and, and they come out of there with, uh, you know, pretty pretty significant series win. Right, right, and you know, for Virginia, you know, it's back to back series losses um, to start ACC play, but I mean, they haven't had the easiest draw to start ACC play. Obviously, playing at North Carolina. Uh, to, to start the conference slate and then going to Clemson after that. Um, but that's not an easy combination at all. They host Duke next weekend, their first home ACC series, which you, on paper, you know, Duke is coming in 11-11. You would, you would imagine Virginia should be able to handle the Blue Devils. And then after that, it goes back to being hard again, playing Louisville, uh, our number one team this week uh, for the second straight week. And a, and a team that just... You know, as John alluded to earlier in this podcast, I mean, they just have the best player in the country in Brennan McKay. I mean, it's just, it's unbelievable what he's done so far this year. And I, and I believe you tweeted he has what, as many intentional walks as he, he does walks as a pitcher. Yes, he has been. This is my new favorite Brennan McKay stat. Uh, there are a lot of really good Brennan McKay stats. You can pick out any number of them, like how his batting average is higher than the ERA. Mm-hmm. But my favorite one is potentially one of my favorite stats ever, is that he has been intentionally walked six times this year. He has walked six batters in 25 minutes on the mound. It is unbelievable what he's doing. And obviously he's central to what everything Louisville does. Uh, But Kate McClure was exceptional. Starts the game on Saturday against Boston College. Um, You know, like I've mentioned all the time, you know, they're hitting all enough down the lineup. Pitching staff is deep. Um, Again, the schedule has not been particularly onerous. Um, it's going to get harder. They this weekend they go to North Carolina State. Next weekend they go to Virginia. Um, so we're going to really see more of what they're made of. But they are playing incredibly well right now, and you know they are they have the best player in the country, and he's playing like it. Right, right. 
yeah, it's, it'll be interesting to see. I'm particularly interested in uh, the Virginia series in a couple weekends. Those two teams matched up. Um, you know, Adam Hazley going against Brendan McKay, two two-way talents going at it, and, you know, two of the top two-way talents in the country. I mean, if Brendan McKay wasn't in the same league as Adam Hazley, you know, we'd be talking about Adam Hazley as the top two-way guy in the ACC. So uh, it's, that's certainly going to be, you know, an exciting matchup. But looking at the rest of the top 25, you know, in, in the back half, um, as John mentioned, we brought in Missouri, 19-1 this year. Um, haven't played a tough schedule to this point, but 19-1 is 19-1, and, and, and there's a lot to like with that club so far this year. And then you look at... Uh, I also want to give Missouri credit for going on the road. Yes, they went on the road this weekend um, because the SEC made them, but you know they, they have not you know just sat at home, and part of that is maybe because they can't in Columbia, Missouri. Um, you know, but they went and they played in, in some tournaments and, uh, you know, they, they've won games at home. They've won games on the road. They've won games big. They've won games close. Like they're finding ways to win. It's more than just the record for Missouri. The record is loud and the record is why they are where they are, but it's more than just the record with Missouri. Right. Right. And then, and then behind them in the top 25, we have the Oklahoma state, Washington, Michigan, uh, three teams that, that all moved up from where they were ranked a week ago, teams that all had, you know, great weekends. Um, you know, I, I look at Oklahoma State, I, I see them really, you know, they had their struggles early in the year, similar to last year. There, there was a lot of turnover on that roster, especially from an offensive point of view. But uh, it, it seems as though, you know, they're finally starting to hit a little bit. You know, Garrett Binge uh, had a really nice week for them hitting four home runs. I mean, if you can get that guy going, he's always had, you know, the bat speed and, and some pop in his bat, but, you know, it seems like he's taken a little bit of a jump. And then you look at Washington, uh, we wrote about it in, in our weekend preview, but, you know, a rematch with Utah, you know, the, the Pac-12 winners a season ago, and, you know, that the conference really came down to that final series between those two teams, and, you know, Washington sweeps Utah. I mean, it, they, they take it to them, and it's a it's a big statement from Washington early early in the year and obviously to start Pac-12 play you know they've struggled to this point they had they've had their ups and downs you know they were a team that we really liked coming into this year and you know had had kind of just they haven't really found their way to this point but you know to me I mean that was a, a certainly a big statement for the Huskies yeah no doubt and um, you know I, I I don't think that um, you know I don't know if they were thinking about revenge um, that series probably doesn't give them full revenge anyway. You know, Utah still gets to keep the trophy from last year, but you know, I, I imagine that felt pretty good to, to start the Pac-12 season that way after the way it had ended a year ago in Salt Lake City. Right, right. You know, and then dropping out this week, Coastal Carolina uh, and Texas A&M. Uh, you know, Coastal Carolina. You know, it's worth noting, obviously, as the defending national champions. You know, to, to this point, I mean, 12-9 and nine in the year, um, lost two of three to, to Texas State this weekend. And, you know, obviously there, there's a lot of turnover with that group, especially from a position player standpoint. They were a very veteran team last year when they won the, the national championship. I mean, for you, do you, do you see Coastal rebounding? Do you, do you think they have the talent to, to put it together and, and get back into the top 25 at some point? I mean, certainly it was, it was a team that we liked in the preseason, but there are some questions, you know, especially from you know, a position player standpoint, who is going to step up and be the guy for them? 
Right now, I think, I mean, you're right, there are questions there, but to me the questions more are like in the bullpen, mm-hmm. and those are questions the coach will have themselves coming into the year. You know, that's why Andrew Beckwith started the year in the bullpen uh, before they felt like they had to move him back to the rotation. Um, they've got some issues to work through. You know, they, uh, this is a team that often starts a little slow. Um, they play a lot of games right out of the gate, and sometimes that is not – the best thing for them, I feel like, um, you know, in the long run, it wor- it definitely works out for them, but it means that, you know, they're having to throw a lot of pitchers that, you know, maybe they won't later in the season, and they find out a lot about their team. So there's a lot of benefits from it, but it doesn't help their record a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, so we'll see if they're able to do that. It's going to be harder this year just because their conference is better now. This is their first ever Sunbelt series. Um, you know, that it's just a better conference than the Big South was. But, you know, I, I do still believe in that team. You know, I think they'll they'll get it together. I don't know if we'll see them in the rankings again anytime soon, you know, whether it comes this month, next month, the end of May, I don't know. Um, if I was Coastal right now, I definitely would be worried about that anyway. Um, you know, they've, they've just got to get – Got to get where they uh, where they feel comfortable with some guys there, both in the lineup and in the bullpen, um, and you know get ready for uh, what, what will be a pretty tough conference play for them. The Sun Belt is no no easy task. So you know this weekend they, they go back home and they got Arkansas State, and uh, you know we'll see if they're able to uh, to get back with a, a series win there there in Conway. Right, right. Well, you know that that essentially rounds out our top twenty five. You know, Teddy, was there, was there anything this weekend, you know, that we haven't touched on this podcast that, that really jumped out to you or, or stood out to you? Uh, shout out to Mike Appel at Central Connecticut State for throwing a no-hitter. Mm-hmm. Uh, the rash of no-hitters in college baseball continues this weekend. Um, <laughs> so he, did, he threw a no-hitter. There were a few, you know, guys that took one-hitters deep or, or nearly missed one-hitters. Um, but he finished it off, so kudos to him. Uh, up there at Central Connecticut State, and kudos for the, to them for finding a way to play. Um, you know, the whole Northeast was obviously pre-weather impacted this weekend, um, you know, so it was interesting to see how teams moved it around and stuff. Um, but you know, for the most part, they, they got a lot of games in. I feel like so um, good job to all the coaches there who were, and the administrations who were able to uh, to help make that stuff happen. Right. Right. Certainly. Yeah, it has been kind of fun just to see how many no hitters there have been so far this year. Um, it, it does seem like you know I don't obviously don't have the numbers in front of me, but it does seem like it might be a, you know a few more than than you might see to this point in the year. But uh, yeah, yeah I mean, it's six already. That feels like a lot. It feels like a lot. It feels like a lot. I'd be curious to see historically where that ranks, you know, with other seasons at, at this point in the season, certainly, and you know, over the course of the entire season. Um, but but yeah, Teddy. I mean, uh, you know, I know uh, you have to you have to drive back uh, from your uh, excursion to uh, to Auburn, catching the the Florida Auburn series. So we'll let you get back on the road. Uh, you know, we appreciate you joining us uh, from the phone. Uh, you know, make sure you follow Teddy Cahill at Ted Cahill on Twitter. Um, we thank John for joining us for a little bit today, at least a little bit more <laughs> than he was with us last week. Um, that was a, a two to three minute deal last week. This week, at least, uh, you know, he got to throw in some takes and some thoughts on the on some Greek players and WBC and and all of the above. And uh, I've been I've been Mike Lanana. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at M Lanana. 
Um, this has been another college baseball podcast brought to you by Louisville Slugger, Power Numbers. Uh, stay tuned for our coverage this week. Keep going on BaseballAmerica.com. Follow us on Twitter, and uh, we'll, we'll talk with you guys soon. This concludes our program. Want more in-depth baseball coverage? Be a better fan. Visit BaseballAmerica.com to get more comprehensive baseball coverage. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.